we're going to pray because we're coming to hear the word now and we're going to ask for God's help so that he can speak to us through it. So Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you that you've brought every one of us here today for a specific purpose and for a reason. And we thank you that you orchestrate these times in our lives so that um, we can get a little bit of a better understanding of who you are, that we could um, get a bit more of a grasp of what your love is for us and what that means to our lives and the way that you desire to, to see transformation occur in our life, that there's an expectation today, God, that by the power of your spirit at work in us, that you, you would help us to become more like your son, Jesus. And I uh, pray this for myself. I pray this for each one of us here today. Pray for our church family who can't be here today. I ask that you be with them wherever they are. Pray that they'd know your presence, that they'd know your love uh, for them. Pray that would shape our meeting today. Pray this in your precious name. Amen. So it is... Um, you know, definitely the lead up to Christmas now. It kind of feels like after, um, you know, the end of October, Halloween stuff goes out of the shops and then Christmas stuff is in. And uh, we're well into the lead up. It's well upon us. And one of the things that I love about Christmas time is how we get invited to all sorts of dinner parties. I don't know about you, but I seem to get invited to dinner parties. Or it's a good excuse as well to, to throw a party, have your friends over, have um, put, on a, put on a meal to share with others. There's Christmas lunches for work and there's all different things that happen. For me, I kind of do like Christmas Day with one side of the family, Boxing Day with the other side of the family. And it's just by the end of, you know, Christmas or by the end of Boxing Day, you're just stuffed full of good food and um, you've had plenty of good time sitting at tables with loved ones, friends and family. And um, I actually... Uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking Christmas is probably becoming one of the only times during the year that we intentionally sit down with our family or our, or our loved ones or, or our friends and we actually share a meal with them. You know, the same meal. You know, it might be a Christmas ham or it might be, you know, um, you know a family favourite dessert. And I don't know whether this is actually happening all too often in the, in the week-to-week life, you know. I, know. I know for me, we often ate dinner on the couch watching TV, you know, when I was growing up. There wasn't much of this, like, intentional family dinner type of stuff. And I don't know what it is like for you. Maybe you do sit down as a family and, and there's that sense in which you share one another's um, things that are happening, you know, in, in your day-to-day life with each other. Maybe that's the way that it is for you. But I was reflecting on this at Christmas time. And how this is just such a special opportunity for us to um, be involved in one another's lives, in our family's lives, in a way that we wouldn't normally do that. And some of us might be thinking, well, you don't know my family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't know my extended family. It's not actually that great to go and share a meal with them. And maybe that's how it is for you. Um, but however it is, I was reflecting on Christmas and thinking, well, I got to think of something to preach about through Christmas, and of course we're going to look at Jesus, but one of the things about Jesus' life is that um, when he ministered to people, he did a lot of ministry at the table over a meal with other people, and um, there is actually, I was looking, I didn't bother to count them, sorry, but might be a bit of homework, try and find how many times Jesus eats with people or provides food for people 
or, um, you know, sits at a table with people and shares a meal with them. And I thought, this is actually a cool idea. i got a crazy idea for my Christmas series. I'll call it the Table Series. And we will, every Sunday in December, or this, every time we meet together in December, even Christmas Day, we're going to look at a story of when Jesus ate with um, someone and sat down at a table. They had cool low tables in first century uh, Palestine, I think it is, and they, they sat on these little couches and reclined and had their legs out, and it was pretty cool. Um, and so Jesus did a lot of this with people. And one of the things that I thought was, you know, as followers of Jesus, we're really like apprentices to him. And one of the things that we need to do is, uh, I thought, we might learn something that we could apply to our Christmas lunch this year or our, um, our, our family Christmas. We might learn a way to interact with others that shows God's love to them. We might even learn something that we choose to do every week with our family or with our, with our partners or whoever it be that you have in your life, a work colleague, where you, where you make it a habit, just like Jesus did, to eat with people, to sit um, at a table with them, to share a meal with them and to share life with them. And so I'm, I guess I'm trying to explain why we're going to look at what we're looking at today and it's not your typical, um, you know, Christmas narrative where there's the baby in the manger. I get all of that is very important. We'll do some cool scripture readings in the coming Sundays regarding the actual Christmas narrative in the Bible. But for now, we're going to look at what did Jesus do when he was sharing a meal with people? And so Jesus refers to himself as the son of man in, um, in, the, in the Gospels a number of times and and he, what, what he does, he says, the Son of Man came to. And there's three ways that he finishes that sentence in the New Testament. The first one is out of Mark 10:45. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the first one. The second one is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, right? That's out of Luke 19. And there's a third one. And I wonder if some of us, you know, who've, been in the Bible for a while now, might know what the third one is. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, right? He says that about himself in Luke 7, verse 34. And the religious people of his day accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Like, and because they didn't like what, um, sorry, they did not like the way that he would freely and openly welcome people to his table. They didn't like the way that he'd accept invitations to go and, and, and meet with uh, people who were sinful and, or con- considered sinful is what, I'm, is what I'm trying to get at. People who were considered outcasts, dirty, not the, not the right type of people to hang out with. These are the people Jesus spent time with and was willing to accept an invitation to. And so the righteous religious people of the day would say, hey, he's a glutton and a drunkard. You don't want anything to do with him. But they really didn't like the way that he was breaking this cultural norm. And so this is a cool thing. This is one of the first cool things that we see Jesus is doing as he eats with people. And so um, where am I? We're going to get to the first story that we look at today. It's in Luke's gospel. It's chapter five. And um, this is the story about a guy called Levi. And Levi is asked by Jesus to follow him and to become one of his disciples, one of his apprentices, right? Um, Somewhat like, yeah, um, saying, hey, leave what you're doing, come and live your life with me, learn from me, and, and see what my way of life is like. And so um, we're going to find out what this, what, what this meant for him because it wasn't really a small thing. We can read over this passage very easily and go, oh, cool, he called Levi, sweet. 
But actually, this is a big deal, and we've got to get some of the cultural background to understand it, but I'm just going to read the the passage first. So we're in Luke chapter 5. We're starting at verse 27. It says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. So the Pharisees, teachers of the law, we're going to talk about them, but they're the religious, righteous um, people who seem to have everything together in their life. And they're they're the ones that the community of the Jews looked up to. They're the example right? These are the ones who lived according to the Old Testament laws. And, and they go to Jesus' followers, his apprentices who are eating at this banquet, and they're like, hey, 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 uh, why, you know, he, he's like, why do you eat and drink with these guys? You know, tax collectors and sinners, they're a bit, mm, we don't really like to spend time with them. Don't you know they're unclean? Don't you know they're not the right type of people? He's like, why are you the here eating at this table with them? And Jesus overhears it and he answers them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, as I said, if we're not not careful, we we can quickly read over this, skim over it, and and lose some of the impact of what's actually happening here. And so we're going to dive into a bit of context here, right? This is is the cool thing. So I'm going to introduce Levi to you. The first thing I'm going to do is, um, yeah, introduce Levi. We need to know he's a tax collector. And he's also a Jewish man as well. And being Jewish and a tax collector causes some some big problems for your life, right? It had certain religious and cultural problems attached to it if you chose to be a tax collector as a Jewish person. Levi is employed by the Roman. You've got to hang hang in here with me because if we get through this, it just makes the passage we just read stand out a lot better, right? So Levi is employed by the Roman Empire of his day to ensure that everyone who passes through his town of Capernaum um, pay tax, right, on everything that they're carrying and everything that they have with them. And they pay tax just, it's kind of like almost like a toll. Oh, you can't, you, oh, you've got, okay, two camels, a few bags draped over them, and you've got, um, okay, your, your wife with you and some kids, that'll be this much. Thank you. And these tax collectors could often extort the, the system a little bit, get really rich by themselves, um, you know, nice things, and, and uh, it caused big problems for them. You can sort of see how this might be a cultural issue. The Jewish people did not like this because although the Romans are ruling over them at this time, the Jewish people believe that the Romans are like their enemy. They don't belong here. They shouldn't be oppressing us. Like, right, there's like this sense in which they're oppressing our Jewish nationality. You know, this is our land. They shouldn't be our rulers. There was this type of thing going on. They're really waiting for God to intervene to get rid of the Roman Empire. This is how the Jews viewed their situation, their political situation. They felt they were oppressed. And so If you're Jewish and you're choosing to work for the Roman Empire as a tax collector, you are seen as working for the enemy. Are you getting that picture? Right? You're not going to be a very um, likable person. You're kind of seen as a thief. And, um, and uh, you, you would take more than you, would, you were supposed to so that you could have a little extra for yourself. It was a great way to become rich, but it was also a great way to be rejected by your community. Right? So Levi... 
He's Jewish, he's a tax collector, he's rejected by his community. His family doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, you know, the religious people, the Pharisees, they think, oh man, this guy, he's just ignorant. He's got no idea what he's doing to us um, and to God and to, and, to, and to us as a people. And Levi was stuck in this position where he, he knew where God was or he knew who God was. He'd grown up as a Jewish person. He had this base understanding. He likely had a deep desire to be close to God and to be close to God's people, yet he's treated like a criminal by all of the religious and righteous people in his life. Okay, so is that painting the picture of Levi? All good? Now I'm going to paint the picture of the Pharisees, right? Some of us will know this, um, some of us won't, but it's important to, to get this. The Pharisees are a group of Jewish people who have devoted their lives to separating themselves from anything that might contaminate or ruin their ability to... Um, to look right and to look righteous and to, and to um, appear as though their life is, is perfect. And they are, you know, um, ticking all the boxes, you know, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's of their life and everything is all together. And they actually separate themselves from people who are unclean and people who are, are religiously unclean. Um, you know, they don't want to mix with anyone who might contaminate their holiness you know, this is, they, they have perfect homes and they have perfect um, appearances. And these, these are the Pharisees, right? Now, they genuinely, I'm not trying to say they're all bad people. They're genuinely thinking this is how you get close to God, right? They genuinely thought this is the only way. If we're going to get close to God, we've got to tick every box. We've got to be the rule keepers. We've got to make sure everyone else is doing that and we're setting the example and no one else is better than us. This is the, how they thought they would get close to him. So they had a problem with, with Levi because Levi, he's the guy that's mixing with the Roman Empire. Romans aren't Jewish. They're not clean. That we don't, we don't hang out with them. He's mixing with anyone who's coming in and out of Capernaum. He's, um, he's being made religiously unclean all the time. And so Pharisees, or these righteous Jews, they don't want any, anything to do with an unclean Jewish person. So... The Pharisees made it clear by the way they were living and by the things that they said, like this question at the dinner party, that they were um, that people like Levi were so far away from God, he could never ever be good enough <clears throat> to find peace with God. Kind of like, man, you're so you're so far from from where God wants you to be. The gap's impassable. You know what I mean? That's kind of the the thing they were trying to um, trying to say. And to make it worse, the Jewish community looked up to these Pharisees and they thought, yeah, they're right. I mean, it's it's actually hard to 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 live the way God wants you to live. This was so this is the picture that we're painting. It's not a great picture for Levi, is it? But this is the context. This is Levi goes to his tax collector's booth every day. And he knows he's not really where he, he thinks God would want him to be. And here is where Jesus enters the story. And it's like, this is like the big moment. I love this. Jesus is the one that changes every story, right? Every story in the Bible is about Jesus. But it, it's, it's just when he enters the story, enters people's lives, amazing stuff happens. So Jesus, he's been in Capernaum for a while, maybe teaching by the sea, um, Levi's been able to see him doing his, his rabbi teaching thing. The people of Capernaum are coming to, um, coming to learn from him. He's got a reputation. He's a wise teacher. You know, the, the large crowds may have seen his miracles and they've, um, 
you know, they've really been soaking this guy's teaching up. He's just so wise and they think, man, he's, he's not a Pharisee. Jesus is not a Pharisee, right? But he's, he's someone who they know, this guy, he's close to God, okay? And so maybe I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of Jesus teaching on the sea like he did or, or, or near the, on the beach. Levi's at his tax collector's booth. He can see him and, he, and, he, and maybe Levi's thinking, man, this guy, He's a bit different. He's different to the other rabbis who, who don't come out of the synagogue or, um, or the church, you know. He's, he's, he seems to be open to more people than, than the other teachers are open to. What's different about this guy? And, um, and then maybe he's thinking, man, imagine being this guy's apprentice. Imagine being invited to be his disciple and the one who could go and, go and follow him and, and uh, be able to see the way that he lives and actually actually get close to him. He's like, man, that's not for me. I'm too unclean. You know, you could imagine Levi's playing this type of narrative over, the, the narrative that he's been told in his head. He's, been, he's playing it over and over for himself. Man, I can't even get close to him. I don't even want to go and walk at the back of the crowd. You know, this Jesus guy, man, he's, he's close to God. He seems really cool, but I just don't know if it's possible that I could get near to a guy like that, let alone to God himself. I'm not religious enough. I don't tick all the boxes. I don't follow the rules. And Jesus is well aware of all of this, right? He's not oblivious to this social, political, religious, cultural context. And so well aware of all the implications and aware of the way that what he does um, is going to turn everyone's noses all out of shape. He, he sees Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. And I assume this is probably after he's done a bit of teaching. Maybe there's a crowd around. And he invites Levi to come and be his apprentice. The despised, the outcast, the, the, the hated person, the rejected person, the person that doesn't, according to all the righteous, religious people, doesn't have his, his life together hasn't spoken to his family in ages, you know, this type of thing. Um, if, he, if he experienced a great loss, no one would care. You know, this is Levi. And Jesus, the son of God, God himself, is making a point of calling him out and saying, hey, come and be my apprentice. Come and, come and follow me. You could imagine, I mean, the, the passage here says, Levi got up from the booth, left everything and followed him. But I wonder what that would have actually, that, that might have played out over a few minutes. Levi's sort of like, what, like, you know, speechless. Me? Me? Is he pointing to someone else? Is there another Levi around? Surely not me. You know, maybe tears in his eyes, looking at the crowd, shaking you know, surely not me. I can't be an apprentice to Jesus. I can't be a rabbi's disciple. I can't be close to God. No way. It's not for me. I'm too unclean. Maybe he's looking at his family, you know, the ones who rejected him. And he's wondering, man, what does this mean now? Maybe he's looking at the Pharisees. They would surely have been around trying to catch Jesus out with the word that he said. He left everything. Right? It says he left everything. He left his tax collector's booth, not before meeting Jesus. It wasn't, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't require us to make any change in our life before we connect with him. You, know, you can connect with him now. 
You can connect with him um, at any time and he's ready to connect with you before you make any change, before you think that you have to clean up your life or follow some rule or, or turn away from the way you're living. It's actually um, Jesus is the one who can initiate that change in your life, which is so awesome. So after he has this little interaction with Jesus, with God, he, um, he leaves everything. And he becomes the most unlikely apprentice to Jesus that, that there ever was. What's amazing about this is that Levi has been told his whole life, and I wonder what you've been told, that in order for him to get close to God and to please God, he had to clean up his life first. Man, you better start, better start um, you know, finding another job, put in some applications elsewhere because tax collectors, they don't belong. Maybe he's been told you've got to live by the rule book. 613 Old Testament laws and how we will interpret those laws, we'll tell you and there'll be more things to follow. You know, this is, this is the context. This is the narrative he's been told. Only when you've transformed your life and pulled yourself out of that, then you can come in relationship with God. But Jesus, when Jesus interacts publicly with Levi in front of the, home, in front of the hometown of Capernaum, You know, when Jesus invited Levi to live in relationship with him, to become his apprentice, his disciple, he's telling us something that is very, very amazing. Jesus was telling Levi that he didn't need to do anything before he could connect with God. And I wonder how you feel about that. How do you feel about your relationship with God? How do you feel about the possibility of you connecting with Jesus Is that something that is um, part of your life already? He didn't need to fulfill any rule book. He didn't need to change his life. He didn't need to get cleaned up. He didn't even need to stop being a tax collector before the relationship was initiated. And what I might add here, I might qualify this, is that once you get in contact with Jesus... Once the relationship is initiated, once you start becoming his apprentice, once you start seeing his life in the Gospels and what that means to you, once you start mixing with the church where Jesus resides, you know, it's, it's then that your life will start to change. It's then that we start, um, you know, experiencing transformation. It's then that Jesus starts to call us away from the tax collector's booth. It's then that these sorts of changes start to happen. So um, we haven't even got to the table yet. <laughs> We're going to get there pretty quickly. But um, because I said this message was about the tables, right, that Jesus eats at. And so Levi, after this happening, he decides to throw a party. You could imagine that he's still in shock and it's, and it's that same day and he's, he's running around to all his tax collector friends. He's saying, guys, you're not going to believe what happened. But that Jesus guy, and they're all like, yeah, we know him. Yeah, he's coming to my place tonight. And they're like, jaw drops, you know. You're kidding. He's not coming to your place. We're tax collectors. You've got to be joking, Levi. Nah, man, I'm his apprentice now. He's coming. I'm one of his disciples. He's coming to, to my place. 
(laughs) The gap is, is no longer there. And so another thing we should know about the context is that if you share a table with someone in Jesus' day, you're identifying yourself with them. It's kind of like the schoolyard. You know, it's like, hey, man, you know, these are my people. We sit at this table every lunch. You don't normally sit here. Go sit with your people. You know, does anyone ever experience that at school? I know I did. Okay, some people are saying no. Well, you're very blessed. But there's sort of like these groups, these cliques that happen. And the way it was in Jesus' day was, the, the Jewish people who were righteous, they only hung out with other righteous Jewish people. You, know, you wouldn't mix with the unclean Jews, no way. They'll, they'll contaminate us, you know, and you, you would never, ever enter the house of a Gentile, let alone have one come under your roof. And, you know, because if you do this, then you're identifying with them. You're, you're actually, when, when we share a meal, it's like we're actually going to share um, a, a, the same life source, we're going to um, identify and everyone else is going to know that, hey, these are my people that I'm eating with right here. And so you could imagine the message this sends to the town of Capernaum. When Jesus goes to Levi's house that night and there's all these tax collectors, sinners, as the Pharisees said, maybe some people who aren't living the way that they, that they should be living. Maybe they're not living the way God would, would, would desire for them to live. And God walks through the door and sits down at the table. And he's happy to be there. And he says, you're my people. I'm happy to identify with you. I'm happy to start a journey with you. It's okay to follow me. It's okay to mix with me and my, my followers. It's okay to mix with the people who are following me as well. The unfortunate thing about this is that sometimes we can fall into the trap Especially as, as a church, we can fall into the trap of being the Pharisee. Man, what are those people doing here, you know? And that sort of can shape the narrative of the way people are treated at church, unfortunately. And we ought to ask for forgiveness because it's how awful. Imagine what Jesus would think, you know? <laughs> and then um, others of us might be like Levi, Man, the gap's too big. Even we've been coming to church for a long time and the gap between me and God just seems too impassable. He doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm too caught up in X, Y, Z. I'm too caught up in sitting at my tax collector's booth every day. I'm too caught up in the unclean stuff. Whatever it is for you, the message Jesus has for us today, the, the thing that he wants us to know as we, as we see him sit with the, with the, the sinners of his day, is that the gap doesn't exist anymore. You know, Jesus coming to earth, a little baby in a manger that grows up and ministers and we see his life and we see his death on the cross, his sacrifice for us. The thing that he did on the cross was he took away the gap. He said, no, nah, it doesn't exist anymore. Whatever punishment you might have deserved for sitting at the tax collector's booth, it doesn't exist anymore. Whatever punishment or whatever, whatever gap you thought was there, however impassable you thought it was, he says, hey, come and eat at my table. Come and be with me. Come and live your life with me. This is, this is where it's at. This is the path to God. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he says, no one finds salvation or, or no one finds, what is it? No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, because he's the only one who can make it possible for us to pass that gap. Otherwise, it would be rules. Otherwise, it would be clean your life up before you come, but it's not the message. It's not the gospel. It's not the good news of Jesus' life.
So one of the things that I invite us as a church to do every time we read the word and we learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and, and we might have got another picture, another glimpse of his love for us, um, is to respond to that. And we're going to respond today with the time of communion. Um, you know, traditionally communion or the Passover meal, it's a meal shared at a table, isn't it? You know, when we gather for this, gather at this table of communion, we're remembering Jesus' death on the cross. When we eat the bread or this little, little wafer, whatever it's made out of, um, we're remembering Jesus' body broken on the cross. When we drink this juice in here, remembering Jesus' blood shed on the cross, because that's the only thing we've got to hold on to. That's the only thing that we have. That's the only merit that we have is our connection to Jesus and remembering that it was only through him and his death on the cross that we're able to, to, to come across that impassable gap that seems to exist. Isn't that an awesome message? Eh? Isn't that a cool thing to know? Cool thing to experience. And so um, as you come to the communion table, be it in this little cup, um, I want to invite you to respond, whether you, you might feel like uh, Levi today, you might feel like um, even a Pharisee today. Maybe there's someone who you've been treating like they're, man, I don't want anything to do with that person. I can't stand them. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're a friend. Maybe um, even God's placing someone on your heart to go and eat with, you know, share a table with them. Might be someone in your family. Hey, can we, can we make a time to connect and to just um, talk about what's happening in your life? You know, and as you do that, you share God's love with them. I wonder how God's asking you to respond today. However it is, um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to share in this. So invite you to prepare for that. Lord, we come to your table with the same invitation that Levi received. That actually you're calling us to the table. You're saying, hey, come from wherever you are and join your life with mine. Lord, I pray that as we do this today, that we get a picture of your love and your grace and your mercy and a picture of what your cross, you know, the, the cross that you died on actually secured for us. That, that we, 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 it secured for us the ability to turn from the things we shouldn't be doing. secured for us the ability to become like your son, Jesus. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat this, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink this, remembering that Jesus' blood was shed for you. Lord, I want to thank you for the invitation that you give to us. I want to thank you that um, you made it possible for us to live in relationship with you. You made it possible for us to start the journey as apprentices of your way of life. I pray that um, if any of us are making that step for the first time today, that you would let it be something that, that we'd just be able to enter in that boldly. If anyone would like extra prayer today, um, Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd let us be bold in, in being willing to ask for it. Father, we just want to thank you for what you've done. Thank you that your coming to earth meant that we got a story like this that showed us that, um, that you love us despite who we are, where we're from, what we've done, that there's no... no no barriers. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to invite you, if you'd like prayer, I'm here to pray for you. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, invite you to stand and sing. Thanks. Thanks.